<clears throat> All right. Welcome, everybody, and uh, we are in Revelation chapter 6, part 1. It's a good chapter. This Things start are starting to get interesting now in the book of Revelation. The rest of it was kind of, what? but this is good stuff. Uh, if you haven't been with us before, we begin with a word of prayer. We sing the word of God set to music, or we try to, or at least listen to it, and then uh, we sit in silence just for a couple minutes, reflect upon our direct relationship with God, has no bearing on religion, me, church, it's you, it's God. That's why we gather together, and then we will get into our uh, verse by verse, which, like I said, I think is kind of interesting today. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we come to you this afternoon, and we're grateful for life, for safety, for your provision. We know that you're mindful of us. As Jesus taught, a sparrow doesn't fall, and you're, you're not aware of it. You know the number of the hairs of our head. You are involved uh, with us. So help us to be mindful of that as we sojourn through this life and we seek truth and especially amidst our own failures and our flesh, which is so uh, corrupt and evil, willing to do things wrong all the time, but your spirit is greater. And uh, so we try to live to the spirit. And so we gather together, Lord, uh, to fortify our spiritual selves, not by way of compulsion or manipulation, not by way of religion, really don't care. We care about our relationship with you. So let us uh, have open ears and open eyes and open hearts. Stuff I say which is wrong, let us forget it. And the stuff I happen to say that's right because of your spirit, let that remain. We love you, we seek you, and need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall love the Lord. 
First four seals today. Uh, we're going to reference this. Today's going to be, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of excited to teach it because we're starting to get some good meaning through some things. You remember the four beasts that are up at the top, the four living creatures. There is a, uh, a lion. There is a calf or an ox, really, there, which has seven horns. There is the man, a creature that has a face like a man. And then there is the uh, last one, which is the eagle. And they're all under the throne of God, singular throne of God. And um, they were crying, an angel came and cried out, who's worthy to take the scroll from the right hand of the one that's sitting on this throne? And we remember that opening these scrolls up is going to describe what scripture here says, things that are shortly supposed to come to pass. And there's seven seals, seven wax seals on those. And no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could, was worthy to open them till the lamb stood up in the midst, stepped forward, took it. So we are now in Revelation chapter six, verse one. And I saw, John says, when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. So 
the very, this first verse is kind of a sneak peek into this major event that's gonna unfold through seven seals opening up. It's a major thing about the end times, all right? And we will soon see that chapter six contains the first six seals to be opened. Then we skip a chapter and chapter eight describes the seventh seal. So uh, it needs to hardly be said, I guess, to anyone who is familiar with Revelation that there are, of course, numerous interpretations of many things in the book. But when it comes to the seven seals, it's ad nauseum. There are so many interpretations on how to see it. May the Spirit be here with us and teach us what is good and true and right. They're numberless almost. The expositions on the seven seals are just all over there. So up to this point, there, there have been a number of unimportant differences in the first five chapters of interpretation. There isn't much of a material difference between them. But however, the scene here opens up to future things, at least the future to John. John is seeing it in this, and the scrolls are telling him future things. And so because people don't know what future we're talking about, there's interpretations, like I said, ad nauseum about what these seals are describing. So the actors, if you want, this is a stage, so to speak. John is seeing it. And the actors are the son of God and angels and demons, Satan, tempests, storms, earthquakes, pestilence, fire. They all play a role in what's happening here as each seal is opened on the scroll. And there, the scene is heaven, the scene is earth, the scene is hell. So all of those different locations are involved in what's being described as happening in these seven seals. Now, Isaiah 45.1 mentions a man named Cyrus relative to some of the things we're going to talk about. And Daniel 8.21 and 10.20 mention the king of Grecia. But Revelation does not give us any names. It doesn't give us any places it doesn't give us anything. It just gives us a story or a narrative. And so the future is boundless and there are boundless interpretations. So understanding that the passing of time has really, it's utterly destroyed. Again, the passing of time since this revelation was written has destroyed thousands of interpretations. Okay, so remember that. We have this book written whenever it was written and John is receiving the revelation. He's writing it down. There have been thousands of interpretations on what it means and thousands of those have been wiped out. By what? By time passing. We have had religious leaders claiming this is coming, it's coming, and we think it's, it's prevalent and popular now. It has happened uh, for a uh, thousand, almost 2,000 years that people have been crying, the end is near, look at the signs, they read the Bible with a newspaper in their hand, and they say, ah, this and this. And uh, it's just like someone said the other day, in Socrates, when he was walking around, he thought that the end of the world was near, so to speak, not the Christian end of the world, because the youth were so terrible. Uh, and, and so that was Socrates. So this is nothing new under the sun. We all think we are living in the time when it's the worst time possible, 
and have, but like I said, thousands of interpretations of what we're gonna study today have been proven false by time, okay? So tell those kids to shut up. I'm just kidding, they're my grandsons, all right. When it comes to interpretation, it seems reasonable that since everything was written to them, and it was, we've proven that, it just seems reasonable that when it was written to them and Jesus says repeatedly, these things are gonna happen quickly, it's reasonable that they occurred. As much as that gets under the skin of people today. We had a guy walk in here this morning and he walked up and he said, I just wanna know one thing. You still teach preterism? I said, yeah, he said, that's all I need to know. Back out he went. And it just drives people nuts because they want all this to have uh, application to them. But perhaps more importantly, is I think, and you know, excuse me if I'm wrong, but it would be a really, would be a cruel joke if God had this revelation, revelation written and has allowed for limitless hypothecations as to what it means for nearly 2,000 years for his followers seeking truth. I just don't understand why he would have this thing that is just, has beguiled millions of souls over the years, and when a reasonable explanation of, this is describing what was gonna happen and it's happened, she could, could get rid of all that. So in and of itself, it seems a natural interpretation is not only reasonable, it seems merciful to me. God's a merciful God. It seems merciful that he would give us a book that has application reasonably to that day and age, and we don't have to keep trying to make it apply to us. So chapter six, six describes the opening of the first six seals. Now, we have already covered them to a certain extent, but I am of the opinion, this might be a little different for some of you to hear, that all four views of the seven seals could have application to us. And let me explain what I mean by that. First and foremost, I think the actual literal fulfillment of what we're reading here has occurred relative to the end of the age for the Jews. That is the preterist view. We all know that. But I'm also convinced that in scripture, when we read it, while Paul will say things like women shouldn't speak in church or they should cover their head if they have long hair or all these, or they should shave their head if they're not going to cover it. While those things don't have application, there are spiritual lessons that can be learned from some of the uh, things that had application back then. And I think there are spiritual principles that we can learn from that have application to our day and age that are in the book of Revelation. So I think there's types or, or pictures that repeat themselves in individuals and nations' lives relative to the seven seals. So therefore, to me, the historicists, the futurists, the idealists, and the preterist views all could have some application, uh, but not in terms of a second coming. I think that what couches Revelation and its import was the fact that these are the signs of the second coming. And so that has, cannot be lost. If you lose it, then we're gonna really get messed up. But let me give you an example. Uh, in the first four seals that are open, wax broken, wax broken four times, horses are involved four horses. The first horse is a white horse with a rider riding on it with a bow in his hand. 
and a crown is given to him as a symbol of triumph, and that white horse and the rider go forth to conquer. That is what scripture tells us about it. Okay, so we have the white horse interpretation. The second horse comes forward at the second seal being broke, and it's a red-colored horse with a rider on it. And this is an emblem of blood and uh, what they would call sanguinary war, not atomic warfare, but war where bloodshed occurs. And power is given to the rider on this red horse, it says, to take peace from earth, okay? And the sword, a sword is given to him, an em emblem of war, and, but not certain victory, just the emblem of war and a sword. So triumph, a crown, a bow-bearing white horse rider comes in to show triumph, but right after him comes the red horse bearing a sword for bloodshed. Then comes the third horse in the third seal, and it's a black horse. Now, I always think of black as death, but that's not how scripture interprets black. Black here means something different. This rider has a pair of scales, it says in his hand, and we're gonna talk about that. And as if there's scarcity upon the earth, I would also think it could mean there's judgment going on. There's a weighing here, but not many, too many people talk about that. And the reason they think it's scales and it's talking about this black horse is representing plagues that are going to come on the earth is because later in the next verse, it talks about there being scarcity and there being a protection of oil and wine. We'll talk about that. So as a fallout of war and bloodshed, there can come pollutants upon the earth. There can come scarcity from embargoes and stuff like that. So the black horse represents the pollution, the fallout, the embargoes, the waste of war. And then the fourth seal is opened and a, a rider comes in on a pale horse. And in scripture, that rider's name, it says, and his name is death and hell and Hades, hell or Hades follows him. So at this point, I do see application of these four horsemen on this earth and the way human beings do things. I see some uh, symbolism possible, possible in these four horsemen in our everyday lives uh, or in our uh, history of the world. Um, so whether they happen this week or in 995 AD or whenever these things happen, the symbolism seems to be there's a universal picture. When the white horse begins, whether it's in your life, when Jesus comes into your life, the follow-up is gonna be warfare. The follow-up will be difficulty, plagues, loss, and the final uh, uh, thing to occur when Christ enters your life is death. That means death to the flesh, if you want to see it in a positive sense. Uh, you can also look at it in a historic sense. For example, when the U.S. bombed uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945, I watched the documentary where firsthand witnesses of the bomb actually dropping, they, they said it in this order. The first thing they said was, it was a beautiful, amazingly hot, clear day and when the, when the bomb went a thousand feet over the headquarters in uh, Hiroshima, it was the brightest light they had ever seen. It was blindingly white and people lost their sight for a while. It was so uh, bright that they weren't expecting it. So 
That's the first horseman. It's a white horse coming in for triumph, for conquering, riding through. And this is how a historicist or possibly an idealist would see it, or a futurist at that time. A futurist who's living in 1944 could say, uh, I'm reading the Bible, I'm reading the newspaper, we have the beginning of Armageddon here. This is the beginning of the end because look what's happened. Well, once the bomb was dropped, then the next witnesses said everything turned red. That was the next color they saw. And so an uh, 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 idealist or a historicist would say, see? And then the next thing they saw was rain. And they thought, this is our salvation. Everything's on fire. It's hot as hell. And, and we've been hit with an atomic bomb. It's raining, but it was black rain, solid black rain. And that that rain, if they drank it, would kill them. And it totally wiped out the land for crops. It wiped out the water, the rivers, the lakes. That black rain, just like it's described in Revelation, came in and did its deal. And then we have the final one, which is the pale horse bringing death. And what do you see in the pictures of Hiroshima the following day? It's it's pale, it's gray, it's dead. And so you, you have through history, whether we're talking about that or, or whatever, uh, I'm not saying this is gospel truth, but I'm saying if we're looking for a type or picture to be found in here that has application to human life after the 70 AD destruction, it very well could be. I don't see why not. I mean, I know in my own personal life, when Jesus rode in on the white horse into my heart, that there was warfare, it began. The red horse rode in next. And that was, hey, I'm engaged with a war in my own soul. Am I gonna live to myself or am I gonna live to what God wants? That red horse and the sword was right there with the sword being the word of God. And then pretty soon the black rain started to fall. I started to lose friends. I started to lose productivity in my life. I started to lose uh, ties to my financial stability because the black rain had fallen. And, and I was polluted, so to speak. And then we had death, which was the death of my flesh over the life of my spirit. So this is how people read this book because it is so uh, apocalyptic and the language is so uh, heavenly, so to speak, that it's really tough to get over some of the symbolism. Anyway, let's read through verse eight and see what these first four seals tell us. Uh, chapter six, verse one, John says, and I saw the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. Remember four beasts under the throne of God. One of them says, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown was given unto him and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now there are people who think this white horse is evil. They think this is, this is uh, the evil beginnings. I don't see it that way. M many other people do. Second seal. And when he opened, that's all it says for the first one. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. That ends the second seal, third seal. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances. You know what balances are? Those uh, Statue of Liberty ladies holding balances in his hand. 
And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and thou shalt not hurt the oil and the wine. So that, that writer had instructions given to him about what he could, could not do. Fourth seal, and when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth beast say, come and see, and I looked and behold a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. Remember when we read earth here, it's the area in the Greek. It is not the world. So when you say, well, this hasn't been fulfilled, certainly a uh, fourth part of the earth, and some people might tie the, the plague, black plague to this, but certainly a fourth part of the earth hasn't been affected, killed with sword, with hunger, with death, and with beasts. But remember, earth does not necessarily mean world there. In fact, it doesn't mean it. It means area. So back to verse one. First seal. And when I saw the lamb open one of the seals, I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. The lamb, I believe, the worthy one, opens the first seal and shows John that which is to come to pass. And John looked and saw this. And then the first thing that happens is he hears something. And I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, he doesn't tell us which one it is, saying, come and see. Now John has said it was the voice of thunder. We have four choices from the beast to give the thunder. Is it the ox, is it the man, the eagle, or the lion? Well, when we discuss the beast, the lion was the one who had the roar, that could roaring lion, that powerful voice as thunder tied to that beast. So he doesn't say it was the lion, but I believe that's what it was. Which of the four beasts were under the middle of the throne and had a voice of thunder? To me, it was the lion. John doesn't tell us which one it was, but he, as we go through these first four seals, the next beast is assigned to the next seal. And the third beast is assigned to the third seal. So beasts two, three, and four have been assigned to the opening of the second, third, and fourth seal. So to me, the first seal was opened by the first beast, which is the lion. And that is a tie to Christ. It has a tie to uh, the tribe of Judah. It has a tribe to all of that. So keep that in mind. Uh, as we go forward. Now, remember, the four beasts are emblematic of God's governmental power of administration over heaven and earth. And that's why they have eyes looking both ways and they have different manifestations and different powers and different living creatures. Well, they all are gifted and equipped to help God govern the heavens and the earth. And I would say that each, each beast and what that beast was about correlates to what that seal was going to bring. So if the beast is a lion that has a loud roar, it's the king of the jungle, it's riding, riding out triumphantly, it's wearing a crown, and uh, it's coming forth to conquer, all of those things tied to the beast of the lion. And then as we move down the line to the other beast, we'll see the same thing. So in order, recall, the first beast was, and again, I say lion, it was like a lion, the second beast was like an ox with seven horns and seven eyes, extremely powerful imagery. The third beast had the face as a man. So we're, we're talking about something that probably includes some ability for reason and intelligence above the other beasts. And the fourth beast was like, all of them are like a flying eagle. Um, 
So it seems, it seems that there's a correlation. So let me fill out the first three boxes when it's talking about what this correlation could be. We have the beast, I've already written it. We have the horse, well, you know, this horse is white. And we know that white is emblematic throughout scripture of righteousness. You're gonna have to put all the facts together as you go and see if you agree. But I think it's all about righteousness. We have, I put calf, but remember in the Greek, it was better put as an ox and that's a red horse. And that is emblematic of war. And then we have the man and his intelligence, etc. And we have the black horse. And then we have the eagle and we have the pale horse. Now, before I get to the ultimate symbol, just try to see if there's any parallel in your mind about what the beast is and does and what the horse is representing. And we'll keep talking and come back to this. When we discussed that these living creatures may represent certain things, we talked about this three or four weeks ago, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, his ministry, the calf or the ox having seven horns and seven eyes, and that oxen were known, and we quoted scripture, how they can push countries together and they can push countries apart. That the ox in the Old Testament was literally used as a symbol of something that could push and, and separate and unite. And then that the creature with the man, uh, face of the man represented godly intelligence and the eagle represented omnipotence and omniscience over those things. So what does the first living creature say, which I believe is a lion? He says to John, come and see. The first seal's open by the lamb, come and see. And it's evidently said uh, this to John, come and see, and not to the horsemen. There, are, there is a segment of uh, people out there who believe that when the seal says, come, when, the, when the beast says, come and see, he's talking to the horsemen. So there's a, a difference of opinion right now. But to me, it seems really clear. He's saying it to John. The revelation was given to John for him to write. John is saying, come and see what to write. Now, uh, another question asked, and we don't know for a certainty, was John reading what was in the scroll? Was, everyone seems to think that when the beast says, come and see, suddenly a panoply opens up and John sees what he's supposed to write. But we don't know that. When the scroll was open, broken open by the lamb, it could be that the beast said, come and see, and John went and he actually looked at the scroll and he read what it said and gave the contents of it to us in this revelation. So that's, that's quite possible. We don't know. But it seems to me that John was seeing some sort of vision, movie, or the actual words that he could then translate into papyrus and give to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Verse two, John says, and I saw, if you guys are fans of Johnny Cash, you'll know that, that line, right? And the four beasts said, come and see, and I saw, and upon was a white, Johnny Cash does it. So we're reading those passages, he put the song. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, piercing arrows, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Because John writes with each of these seals as they're broken, I saw, I think we can say that he's seen the horse, he's seen the white, and a white horse. And this makes us 
ask some other questions right now. First of all, why horses? Why not elephants? And I saw a white elephant, I saw a red elephant, a black elephant, why not elephants? Well, horses come in those different colors, so maybe it's that. Why the different colors? Because it's obviously representational and it's teaching us something. They're emblematic of something. What do the each colors represent? Well, now we start to go down a thousand different roads because I think the first horse is Christ, but others think it's a bad form of something white, like an atomic bomb. Who are the riders? Every horse has a rider of these four horses. Who are they? John doesn't say the one riding on the white horse was Christ, even though he was given a crown and he's coming forth to conquer. So we don't know. Should we assume that they are all to be taken and interpreted in order to best understand their meaning? Does it, the, the, does it always have to happen? White horse, red horse, black horse, gray horse? Uh, we will find when we uh, resort to the Old Testament that they talk of these four horses, but it's a different order. So we have to ask ourselves that. So let me get back to filling this out. We have a rider on each one. So we know yes, 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 and yes. The power given to the first rider, a bow and a crown. Representational. I, I know what I think it means. You have to say, this was given power and a great sword. Put it all together. Look at the columns. Decide what you're thinking it means. What is the Spirit telling you as we study this together? The next one was given a pair of balances. And then the fourth one was power over a fourth part of the land to bring in what it was going to do. The purpose of the bow and crown on the white horse uh, represented or introduced by the lion to conquer. That's this horse's purpose. And then we have to take peace Uh, and to kill. And then the man uh, beast with the black horse is to touch the land with trial. I'll put trials. And then the eagle, the power of the fourth part of the land is to kill with the sword now, that right there is interesting because if we're talking about a future application, we don't use swords too much in these latter days, do we? Uh, but, you know, they certainly did back in the day. But, you know, we can just skip that. It might be representational. And with hunger and with death and with beasts of the earth gnawing on carcasses. The ultimate symbol to me, this is my opinion, S. Sean McCraney's opinion, this is Christ. I believe that he is the one who's on the righteous horse to bring in. He has the power, he has the crown, and his purpose is to conquer. That is my belief, of course. And then this one, I believe, is, we've talked about it, war. The war that comes when Christ comes in to conquer either a land 
or an individual's life. The next one is pollution and or uh, pestilence. And then the last one is, of course, we, most people agree because scripture says it. This is death and hell or Hades follows it. So that completes the chart. Let's continue to talk about it, what it means before we wrap it up. Be to begin with, why horses instead of elephants? Or curloms, as the Book of Mormon. No, I'm just kidding. Horses throughout the Old Testament are emblematic of war. I mean, there's a war going on with everything that we're talking about here. Even Christ come, is coming to conquer. So there is warlike imagery going on. That's why the horses. We're talking about the end times. So in the end times, there is going to unfold battles. Roman soldiers in the preterist view coming in, surrounding on their horses. They, uh, Josephus said blood was up to the uh, bridle uh, part of the horse. Blood ran through the uh, streets and horses were definitely part of the Roman uh, warfare. A Jew perfectly understood what a horse meant. And this was written to believers, for the most part, who had come out of Judaism. When we think about it, all of these first seals, no matter what we're talking about, have to do with warfare. A rider sitting on a horse is completely emblematic of war. And so with the first going forth to conquer, the second going forth with a sword to kill, the third going forth to try to scour the land, what happens afterward, the burning of villages, the, the uh, uh, scorched earth that sometimes will happen in, after the killing has been done, stuff like that. And the fourth is the death that results in mass accordingly. The varying colors are uh, each horse are pretty self-explanatory, I think, purity, blood, corruption, and death. And these colors seem to depict the metamorphosis of going from life and chance for life to death and decay. And uh, again, that's how I would take it. So again, I would step out somewhat on a limb here and posit that this model of the four horsemen can be seen only uh, throughout the Bible, cannot only be seen throughout the Bible, but throughout the course of human history. We introduce our own four horsemen of the apocalypse and we do it in our lives in different ways. And, and so I think there could be some imagery there that carries through. We could look to the nation of Israel, for example, even going pre-Christ, and we could look at uh, the Exodus and Moses coming, he's the, he's the white horse. He is coming to the children of Israel who are in bondage. And he's saying, okay, listen, Pharaoh, let my people go. He's the, he's the white horse crowned one and Egypt resists. So what happens? A red horse comes in and begins the warfare upon the, uh, the nation of Israel, I mean, uh, upon the Egyptians. And, uh, but in the case of Moses, this wasn't a battle with swords. This was uh, frogs and lice and fiery hail. They, the, the war came upon them when the righteous one tried to lead them out. And the third horse, black, uh, and representing defilement of the land in terms of the curses could represent the fiery hail, which was one of the later curses that came down and destroyed the crops. And, and uh, it destroyed the animals, it says. The livestock were wiped out during this fiery hail time. 
So, and then of course, the last one is death. When the whole thing ended with the firstborn of every family that didn't have the covering blood dying. So we have even going all the way back to uh, Exodus, we have emblems of the four horse uh, apocalypse guys fitting that model. And there's always some manipulations you gotta do to try to make things fit. I get that. And we're trying to amble forth and see through a glass darkly, but we're trying to figure this out reasonably. And so far, this is what I've come to. Uh, in terms of the last days of the age of the Jew, we might see the horse, the white horse, as the arrival of the only true Messiah. That's, this is how I see it when it comes to eschatology. The white horse was the Messiah coming, coming to conquer the sin and death. To me, that is very clear from a preterist point of view. And um, the red horse represents the Roman armies that began to assail Jerusalem in 60 AD. The destruction of Jerusalem was 70 AD, but around 62, 63, the, the war started coming. The Jews tried to rebel and bring in their own. And so we have uh, that war beginning and that in turn turned the Romans on them. And so we have complete warfare going on. The black horse might represent the defilement of the land that was brought on by the uh, Roman army. So much so, Josephus said, women were eating their babies because of want of food. That was actually described in his history of the Jews. And, uh, and then of course the pale horse would re represent the million plus Jews who were thrown into Gehenna, um, what also called Hades in scripture and died as a result of all this. So this could certainly describe all of that if Revelation was written before 70 AD. And we've talked about why I think it was. So there we have the preterist application, direct application of the four seals. Of course, there, like I said, could be application to other ages and other people. Perhaps any time, like I said, Jesus rides in. Any time you're going to have red horse, black horse, pale horse some sense or another, whether geographically or personally in your life. Makes sense. In other words, in, in, something to consider. All right. The Old Testament, let me just share with you quickly because I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't. Zechariah 6.1. This says uh, at uh, chapter 6, verse 1, and I turned and lifted up my eyes and looked and beheld. So this is very similar to what John says. Behold, look, and I looked and I saw. Here, Zechariah says, I looked and beheld, there came four chariots out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass, that means uh, judgment, and the first chariot were red horses, and then the second chariot were black horses, and then the third chariot were white horses, and then the fourth chariot grizzled and bay horses, which is kind of that gray mottled look. And then I answered, and I said to the angel that talked to me, what are these, my Lord, lowercase l? And the angel answered me and said, these are the four spirits of the heavens which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. So now we have an Old Testament application of who the riders are on these horses. You look at Zechariah chapter six. Zechariah asks the heavenly angel, who are these guys? And, and he's answered by the angel, these are the four spirits that go forth from standing before the Lord in all the earth. Really interesting. The black horses which are thereon go forth from the north, the white go forth after them, the grizzled go forth toward the south, and the bay went forth and sought to, and sought to go that they may walk to and fro throughout the earth. And he said, get thee hence, walk to and forth on the earth. And it goes on and all it does is it assigns direction to those horses. 
One goes south, one goes north, and the other ones go the uh, different ways, and that's all we really get. So we're gonna let those passages sink in, and we'll get to them more later on. But verse three, second seal. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. So first seal, white horse, crown. Now we're seeing the second seal open. The result, a red horse, John writes, I heard the second beast say something. The second beast in the description of the beast is the ox, seven horns, seven eyes, emblematic of pure power, pure ability to divide and to push people together. Nations, uh, the ox could push together, uh, the ox could divide. That's what, this is the one who's telling John to come and see. We can't prove there's any connection between the beasts and the revelation of the horses. There's no proof of it, but I'm just suggesting there could be. The red horse rider and the power and sword he possessed, of course, indicative, like I said, of war. And war can be seen as represented in what that um, animal or that beast is, as a pushing and a retreating, advances and retreating, pushing together, pulling apart. That's why I think that animal, that beast, is the one giving the introduction to the second seal. Uh, and so the bull says to John, come and see, and the second seal is broken open by the lamb, and the white horse rider is out to conquer, but warfare is followed, and they went out, verse four, another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the Gehei, which is the area, to take peace from the area. It's, it says earth here in the King James, and that they should kill one another. So this is warfare being introduced, and there was given him a great sword. So we can pretty much say this horse represents warfare, people are killing each other, and the great sword is given. It's interesting, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and if he is the Christ of the lion and the white horse, if that's him, then the second one to come out is the enemy to peace. It's warfare. Do you remember when Jesus says, don't think that I've come to bring uh, peace, but a sword? This is a fulfillment of that in my estimation. He came to conquer, and the conquering was going to bring about this sword that he says would occur by the hands of the Romans upon the Jewish nation to wrap up the end of that age. So apparently this power to take peace was in their ability to kill and to kill each other, and that is what happened. We don't know who they are. It says, and they were given the power to kill one another. We don't know. So I'm not gonna make a, a conjecture there. Uh, is it the inhabitants of the earth? Is it just the people in Jerusalem? Is it all of us that, uh, you know, I don't know, can't say. All we can say is that the writer takes peace on earth. So the white horse denotes possibly prosperity and possibly triumph and conquering happiness. The, the next horse is carnage and discord and bloodshed. Obviously, we are given an insight into uh, a time after Christ arrives in my estimation. We're not told who gave the rider on the red horse the sword, but presumably because this is a heavenly vision, it was God of course, this plays to the end of things of that age, and I think this is a clear description of the warfare that was to fall upon Jerusalem. And uh, like Jesus said, he, uh, 
he was rejected, so he came, was rejected, and the red horse was introduced. All right, and let's go to the third seal. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. We note that the third beast, the one with the face of a man, is the one who opens up this seal. It's why there may be a connection. John says, black horse held a pair of balances in his hand. Based on the content of verse six, the black horse here seems to be an emblem of famine, pestilence, pollution, possibly symbolic of these. This is the fallout from war that was caused by the red horse and, and the scarcity that comes because of war. People who lived through World War II, my parents talk about this, how there was scarcity and everybody in the country sacrificed and you saved rubber bands and you did all sorts of things because of the scarcity. And so many commentators believe the scales that the black horse rider is holding is an emblem of the scarcity. We're gonna talk about why, because it says at verse six, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three meals of barley for a penny and thou shalt not hurt the oil and the wine. And so um, what that is interpreted to mean is that, I mean, if we go back in Roman history, the way it's explained is uh, a laborer could labor all day long and for a penny, that measure of wheat would feed himself, but it wouldn't feed his family. So there was food, but it was scarce. And barley, three measures of barley for a penny goes back to Roman age, that the Romans would feed their soldiers who were disruptive and troublemakers, barley instead of wheat. And three measures of barley for a penny was equal to a measure of uh, wheat for a penny. And that's why those two are referred to here. Again, if we're looking at what was said, we don't talk about barley, eating barley in our day and age. And uh, we don't talk too much about the oil and the wine either, really, at least not in America. So if this has worldwide application, it seems more like uh, language from antiquity rather than present day description. But again, could be wrong. But what's really interesting about this, and I'm glad Ty's here. You might have some insight into this in our Q&A, Ty. But this term balances in the black horse rider's hand is zugos in the Greek. And zugos is used six times in the New Testament, only six. Five of those times, zugos is translated into yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Only one time in the King James is it translated into something different, and that's here, and it's translated into balances. And so why did the translators from the Greek choose yoke, 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 all through the New Testament, and then when they get to Revelation, translate it into balances. I don't know. Maybe you have some insight to that. Maybe they did it based off content. Well, obviously, if you're gonna be measuring wheat and barley for a penny, we need balances, and that's what it is. And obviously, a yoke, which is a, a balancing beam that keeps things controlled with oxen, same yoke, that you know, a balance has a similar property to it. But they chose to say this guy on the black horse is holding a balance, and we see that in, in illustrations and artistic renderings of, you know, he's galloping with the balance, but really the word is yoke everywhere else. And that kind of bugs me, I have to admit. I don't know why it does, but 
It, it just bugs me that the one word's used all the time until we get to Revelation. Uh, I don't know, maybe there's some meaning. You guys might come up with what it could be. And I heard a voice, verse six, in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. The word for measure is chanix, I think, and it means how to weigh dry things, dry goods. And so most people believe this was, again, like I told you, the ancient Romans denarius. That was the penny that we're talking about and how much it could buy in terms of food. And uh, so now in terms of historical application, many people believe famine took place under uh, Claudius who reigned from 41 AD to 54 AD. Now we have historical support for placing the black horse and what it did to pre-70 AD. Because historically there was a famine under Claudius, Emperor Roman, Roman Emperor, and uh, he reigned from 41 to 54. In fact, to support it even more, in the book of Acts chapter 11, a prophet shows up in Antioch and he prophesies and says there's gonna be a famine that comes. And that famine came and it apparently was speaking of the one that occurred during Claudius. So it's possible that John is seeing the black horse famine that is coming as a result of the wrap up of that age, which is what all these seals are about. And I heard a voice in the midst, measure of wheat, penny, three measures of barley, penny, and see that you do not hurt the oil and the wine. Um, we're gonna wrap it up with that. This direction seems to be coming from God, directions given to the riders of the black and, and red and white and, and gray horse. And, he, and to the black horse, he says, don't hurt the oil and the wine. Now, people say what God was saying is don't hurt the um, stores of oil and wine through your destruction, black horse rider, because you are going to ruin the vines and the trees. So they have stores of oil and stores of wine. You can wipe out their trees and their agriculture, but don't wipe out their wine and oil that's in store. Others say, like in Hiroshima, that uh, it was attack the places that are uh, more agrestic or agrarian, though Hiroshima was a built up city, but don't attack the principal place where the wealthy and the affluent are. Now, that's an interpretation, it's not mine, but they say, don't hit where the oil and the wine are, where the affluent have these things, just hit the other stuff. And of course, I tend to think the oil and wine could have something to do with the biblical description of what oil and wine is. Don't attack, he says, the oil and the wine. Well, in scripture, what does oil represent? It represents the Holy Spirit. So quite possible in my world, and I haven't read this, but it seems to me like, that black horse uh, rider was told, don't hurt those who have the spirit and don't hurt those who drink the wine in communion. Don't hurt those who are covered by the blood. Oil and wine to me seem to, now I'm just using the Bible to interpret the Bible. You can go outside of it and come up with all sorts of other reasons, but I see it as that. I wonder about that symbolism, could be, but there's so much we just don't know. We're gonna continue with the fourth seal 
fifth, sixth, and maybe the seventh in the following week uh, hereafter. Comments, insights, questions. Anything? Nope. Johnny boy. Okay. Uh, so you can look at the four horsemen as, uh, like I do, I look at them as Jews, the rich Jews. All four? Yeah. Okay. Because uh, the way I look at it now is uh, from the 1700 century, the rich Jews control the monetary system of the world. You know, the Illuminati and uh, like the Federal Reserve Banks are owned by Jews, the rich Jews, Rockefellers, and on and on, the world banking system. So they cause all the wars. Okay. They've caused all the world wars since they've come into effect. So this is something. That's your interpretation. Very good, John. Thanks for sharing that with us. Jonathan up front, the Johns are talking today. Um, I was thinking that uh, the second writer could be the Archangel Michael, as he was given the sword mm. of heaven. Okay. At, you know, and he follows Jesus. So I, I also tend to think that the rider of the white horse is Christ with his crown. So Michael, the Archangel, is going for is the destroying angel? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Thank and you. also, there, I was just checking online, there were many famines. Uh, during the time of the Roman many emperor of Claudius yeah many and that fits the that preterist view I was also trying to find out if um, the Romans cut off the food supply to the Jews oh I think so yeah and that's also you know Josephus antiquities and and war would tell you probably because he was that first-hand witness with the Roman side watching what was happening to the Jews that'd be a good resource to check Thanks, Jonathan. Anything else? And we are going to Patrico. He's easily amused. Praise the living God. Um, I was thinking while you were talking about the man and the black horse, and there's a rider on it and all that. It says, and I can't really read from back here that well, but a pair of blackness, pollution, pestilence, something with trials. This is the man, Sean. Yeah, a pair uh, of balances. Something with trials. And pollution and pestilence. So I, th I think of that as like material religion. They want to put trials on you, do, do, the man. Look to the man, praise the man type of thing. Do, do, do. Oh. See? Because I come out of Mormonism and now I'm Christian, but praise, you see what I'm saying? I do. Instead yeah. of praise to Jesus, it's praise the man. Yeah. So, I mean, so they want to do, 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 put trials on you, pollute your soul, kind of, so to speak, and Jesus says, my yoke is easy, but it's light. Awesome. So he comes on the white horse. How can I argue? And that, that's the thing about this is if we sit down, we probably all have different views on the, and, and insights. But in the end, the Christian community is not going to agree. We're just not going to. And so we can choose to love each other and allow each other to have the insights, or we can start doing this. Got to keep reiterating that. Anything else? Ty, thank you. Hope you're addressing my question. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't familiar with the Greek word, but I just looked it up. It comes from zeognomy, uh -huh. and apparently that can also mean, in Herodotus, he uses it just as a bridle. 
which seems even more just oh. tied, like naturally to interpret it as, or you can like a saddle even or a bridle. Wow. He's just holding, you know, and it's related to horses. Huh. So it could just be that. I don't know how it would tie to what he gets told. Yeah. Um, with the divvying out and don't touch this and do that, but yeah, but it could just mean that. But guys, what d d is your thought on those of you who don't know? Ty, he's uh, a resident scholar who's gone off and studies in deep caverns of the earth and comes back out <laughs> and shares with us things. But what is? Why would they go yoke, 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 and then suddenly say balances? Do you well, yeah, it can also mean balance. Okay. Um, it can mean even just like a like a concept of a binding law. It oh. can mean a marriage binding. It can mean... Interesting. You know, balances or scales, but it can mean horse bridle or horse saddle hmm. as well. Could um, it mean, in uh, harmony sort of with what John said, could it mean the, the law? Oh yeah, certainly, yeah. Interesting. Great stuff, thank you. Oh, and also, the, the black horse was the one that, that got told all of those, or the... Yeah. The, the one riding the black horse. Yeah. And that was given by the man, the man beast. Yeah, by the so man beast. So it's interesting beast. that the man beast gets words, like you were saying, with rationality. Oh, yeah. The other ones don't get instructions in the same way. You guys hear that? Excellent insight. Thank you. I didn't even think of that. Superb. Corey? I, have, I know you probably already talked about this, but when was Revelation written? Oh, huge debate. Right. And so the, the standard view is 90 to 95 AD. The preterist view with a lot of really sound reason, I think. And if you don't have that reason, if you're here or at home, uh, Knife to a Gunfight lists those reasons uh, about how the dating of Revelation most probably had to have been uh, pre-70 AD. 67, I think. Some people think earlier. But if you want uh, evidence for that to argue it, and you're certain that it was 95, uh, write us, we'll send you that book, or you can pick one up here and just look at the Revelation chapter. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was pre. All right, you guys, great questions, great insights. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for your word and uh, your spirit and the information shared by uh, everybody here today. We pray you'll help us with the content of our heart, uh, that it will be to seek you in your ways and have an eternal view of this life. And not completely, on the things that we do here in order to survive and live the lives you've given us. You have gifted us with lives and with talents, and we pray that we will use them as you've gifted us, uh, give it, gif gifted them to us. But help us to always have our focus on you and to move forward with that view. We pray for Bernice, who is in the hospital with pneumonia, and that you will heal, heal her, and for Liz and the infections in her back. We pray for those who struggle in faith and are having difficulty in their walk. That will be someone who relieves them, doesn't burden them, that steps forward to encourage them and not fill them with despair and regret and guilt and to share the message that Jesus has done it and to fill people with that hope. We pray for Diana, for her knees, her whole body, her health, so many health issues. And we pray that you will help the doctors who are working with her. And we pray you'll bless our uh, Wangsgard family and and all those who are there, the passing of uh, Heidi. You'll continue to reassure, you'll continue to bless and guide, and uh, we love you so much, Lord. Anything that hasn't been remembered, we pray that, that um, uh, we will rest assured you're aware and we'll take care of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.